Good morning. For those of you who were here last week for our fourth Sunday emphasis, uh, I hope that you carried with you how the Holy Spirit works within you uh, as we looked at what the Old Testament had to say about the Holy Spirit. Uh, it says in verse 2, the very second sentence of the Bible, that the earth was tohu wabohu. The earth was formless and void and a swampy mess. And the role of the Spirit was to come and to bring order and to bring peace and shalom. And just as he did that at the very beginning, he does that with our lives. God takes the tohu wabohu in me and he brings peace and shalom and order. And then for God to give a picture of that, of what that looks like, we talked about the picture that was used early on in the Old Testament of the Spirit, and that is the very breath of God and uh, the Ruach of God. And the Holy Spirit is that breath. And for us, we would say, well, we know in New Testament times that the Spirit lives in us, and that is so true. But in the Old Testament, they needed a picture, right? They were picture people. God is a rock. God is a fortress. It was a picture. And so God gave them the picture that the Spirit is the very breath that you breathe. You breathe in Ruach. And as you breathe Ruach in, you're breathing in the breath of God, the Spirit of God. And so the people would be reminded that every breath they take, they're breathing in that Spirit of God. And I hope that you were able to carry that with you. And we will continue on the next fourth Sunday to uh, reflect more on the work and the person of the Holy Spirit and how he works and ministers in our lives and in his kingdom. One of the emphasis that we have in uh, 2023 that kind of comes to a head on the fourth Sunday is that every month we have a psalm that we are memorizing. And last month, the month of March, it was Psalm uh, 13. And this month, we are moving on to another psalm, and that is Psalm 46. Now, it's not the whole psalm, but uh, it's verses 8 through 11. But if you picked up one of those blue book markers that we use to put the psalm on, you notice the whole psalm is there, and that's we just want to put that there but the memorization really is the last four verses of uh, psalm 46. so uh, we're going to take a few moments and we're going to read it together then we're going to dismiss the children for discovery kids and then we will read our passage for this morning so uh, we're going to read these 11 verses together and just like the Hebrews, when they would gather at tabernacle or gather at temple, they didn't always pray or read in unison. There was always kind of a overlap, so don't feel like you have to read everything just as I'm reading it. Uh, go your own pace, go your own speed, don't worry about it. And uh, we're going to follow that as well. So I invite you to join with me by standing either in spirit or physically as we read together Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, 
the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And now our verses. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And with that, we will remain standing as Discovery Kids up to grade five are dismissed to go downstairs to meet with your teacher and your helper so that they can spend a time of worship together as well. So we are going to dismiss our Discovery Kids to go to the back. And our passage this morning is the story in John's Gospel right before the triumphal entry. In a way, a bit of a trigger for uh, what was to take place. It's found in John 11. Right now I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 and then 17 through 27. So you can follow along in your book, on your phone, on a tablet, or just listen as I read aloud these words from the book that we love. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When you heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them and the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. God's very word. Thanks be to God, and you may be seated. 
Remember the game of life? Spin the wheel, decide if you want to go for a career or go to college, and try not to end up in the poorhouse. Because whoever finishes with the most stuff wins. It's a very finite game. Like most games, there's a starting point and there's an end point. What makes the game engaging, though, what they try, is what happens along the way. How many kids fill the car? Will you get married? Uh, will there be good fortune that comes your way? Sort of like a Forrest Gump sitting on the bench. Where have they been? Where are they going? What's taking place in their life? The game of life. But we know the game of life is not a finite game. It is an infinite game. Because the journey with Jesus is not about one that comes to an abrupt end. It's one that continues on. In fact, it is a, it is a journey, it is a life, and where what happens now matters. Matters deeply. How we live. The values that shape us the glory of God that we bring about and what we say and do. What happens on the board of our life game is what the kingdom of God is about. Jesus came to bring life. Eternal life, new life, life here and now. Life to the max for all of those who trust in him. Let's look at this story. The story is about a man named Lazarus. Lazarus and his sisters lived in the city of Bethany. Bethany literally means house of lepers. It could very well be, as many commentators think, that Bethany was a leper colony. And that means that Mary, Martha, Lazarus either had leprosy, or maybe that was their mission, to minister to lepers. Those were the kind of people that Jesus was gravitated towards. So it was easy to see where it says Jesus loved them. People had given their lives to the service of others. But now Lazarus was sick. And Jesus was 100 miles away. It says Jesus stayed two more days. And then he would announce, as he was led by the Spirit, that Lazarus had died. And they would begin the journey. 100 miles, 25-mile walk a day, take them four days to reach Bethany. And so Jesus leaves to fulfill an essential obligation in the ancient world, to comfort the mourning. And yet he knew he was there to do so much more. When a person died, their body was prepared with a lot of ointments and wrapped in cloths to help with the process of decomposition as well with uh, the smell. Oftentimes, the same day that a person died, their body was prepared, was wrapped, was given anointments, and it was placed in a burial site. And the rock would remain open. And the family would go into the tomb as well, and people would enter in the tomb in order to give their 
mourning and their comfort. And this would last for three days. The fourth day, it was someone's responsibility to go to the tomb and to speak into the tomb the person's name. Elazar! Elazar! And if Elazar did not come out of the tomb, then the stone would be rolled in front. It would remain that way for one year, or unless someone else in their family died. One year to the day, they would roll the stone back, they would go in, and the ointments that had brought decomposition to the body would just have their bones left. They would take the bones, put them in a box like this called an ossuary, and they would take that and they would put it on the shelf, along with other ossuaries, other bones of family members. And so to rest with one's fathers was literally to have your bones placed on the shelf with those within your family. The burial practice, the first century, time of Jesus. And because of the death of Lazarus, there was a great deal of mourning that was taking place. Jesus arrived there on day four. Mary and Martha unloaded on Jesus. And Jesus has broad enough shoulders to handle it from them, to handle it from us. They knew that Jesus could have done something to change the outcome. And when he didn't respond the way they wanted him to, they were disappointed and maybe even a bit angry. When we go through times of suffering and loss, when we go through these days of Psalm 23, deep darkness, Jesus loves us in the midst of that. Not always by taking away our suffering, not always by taking away our loss or the darkness or in the timing that we want him to do that, but that somehow we can experience him in the midst of this deep darkness that we are in. If we demand that God love us the way we want him to love us, or the way that other human beings love us, if we want God to love us in that way, we won't know what it is really like to be loved by God, to allow him to love us in God's way. Jesus confronted the pain in the morning of the sisters and his own Pain as well. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come a long way with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord. They replied, and then it says, Jesus wept. A dramatic piece of testimony that Jesus, fully human just like us, and the words he wept are not just quiet, simple words. It literally means he burst into tears. And he wasn't going to sugarcoat the situation, but he himself 
mourning. Who was he mourning for? Commentators are split on this. Some commentators say, well, he was mourning for the loss that Mary and Martha were experiencing. Could be. But when he met them, he didn't weep then. Some say, well, he is mourning for his own loss. Well, as he thinks about the loss of Lazarus. Well, could be. But this is verse 35, and he doesn't go to the tomb to verse 38. Some of the commentators say, and I, I tend to agree with these, because I think it, it captures the flow of the Gospel of John. He is crying because of the tragedy of the human condition. Our condition. The condition brought about by starting with the sin in the garden and our sin and the suffering that has come from that and the crying of Jesus over the human condition. Ever think about God as one who cries? It says that he finds no joy in the pain of others. The trail of God's tears are all throughout history. Mourning with the turns and the tides, not only of history, but within our lives as well. Knowing that his good creation was not created in that way, but fell. And here comes a God who wants to experience our pain and experience our hurt and because of the pain of human tragedy, of our suffering, he weeps as well. And Jesus knows that one day we will all die. And the trick is to turn the tables on death. And a great way of turning the tables is by the way of faith that he talks about. How is Jesus able to turn the tables on death, to save a fallen world. Well, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though they die. Jesus is telling Martha that he loves her, that he loves Lazarus, and he will not abandon him. Jesus will raise him up in God's timing. And the timing really doesn't matter. Because there will never be one millisecond when we, alive or dead, will be outside of the fellowship of Jesus in our lives. Martha was partly right in verse 24 when hearing Jesus' promise that Lazarus would rise again. She basically says, yes, I know that he will rise again when the roll is called up yonder. True. True enough. Jesus, however, is not here to talk about when the roll is called up yonder. He's talking in present tense about right now. I am the resurrection. And I am the life. And the belief that we have in him that brings about the resurrection that he brings to us. Jesus knew that the only way to get Lazarus out of that tomb 
was to put himself in one. He knew the only way for death to be conquered was that he had to conquer death himself. He knew that he would have to be exposed to the divine wrath of divine justice on our behalf. He knew the cross would be the only way in which we could experience Jesus as the resurrection and the life. And as we enter Holy Week and think about Jesus on the cross, it says in John 11, when they saw Jesus weeping, oh, how he loved him. We can say, as we continue to reflect on the cross in this week, oh, how he loves us and all that he was willing to do for us. And that brings us to the miracle. The miracle that spoke of his miracle to come. Jesus asks for the stone to be rolled away. Martha resists. And in being a companion of Jesus, she has seen a lot, but she has not seen this before. They finally agreed. And the stone is rolled away, and Jesus speaks directly to Father God. It is day four. Remember what happens on day four? We read, starting at verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take the stone away, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, and he has been in there for four days. And then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when they said this, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. So what does this story mean for us as we enter into Holy Week? What do we take home? I'd like to share a few things with you. One a reminder that the game of life is an infinite game. It's not finite. Jesus gives to us an eternal life. I am the resurrection and the life is one of the great passages that we read at funerals, and grave signs. I shared a couple of years ago that at my uncle's funeral, uh, the priest didn't make it to the graveside. And so I got tapped by my cousins almost as we are walking for the graveside. 
could you do something, please? Absolutely, I'd be honored. And the passage that the Spirit brought to mind, I am the resurrection and the life. Our soul will be reunited with the resurrected body, and so we will always be. 1 Corinthians 15. But Jesus has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Jesus came and died unjustly on a cross as payment for our sin. And he rose from the dead three days later to show that Father God accepted his sacrifice for us. So all those who believe, who put their trust in Jesus, confess their sin, receive this infinite, eternal life and are given a promise of secure presence of God now and forever. Jesus gives us eternal life. Not only that, but Jesus gives us an abundant life as well. And this abundant life is seen in the resurrection of Jesus. In all four gospel accounts, when they tell of the resurrection, it does not say, and so we too will one day resurrect from the dead. Not found in the gospels. It comes much later in a lot of the epistles. The Gospel writers put an emphasis on the resurrection of Jesus as it brings new life to us here and now, not just in heaven. It speaks of us being an agent of the kingdom, of joining with Jesus and what Jesus is doing in the world now, to be an agent of that grace and mercy and peace. The offer that Jesus gives to us is not only an offer of eternal life, it's an offer of abundant life here and now. But we are the ones who don't always respond to that offer. Yes, we like to respond to the offer of salvation, but we are the ones who are looking for loopholes, looking for excuses of not to follow Jesus the way he wants us to follow him. We continue to want Jesus our way. We're even willing to live a completely miserable life as long as I am somehow in, in control of it, instead of handing the control over to him. Humanity will go to great lengths to keep from allowing God to live out a new life in us. Following Jesus will bring an inconvenience to us, and it should. As you reflect on your life, if Jesus hasn't brought an inconvenience to you, you've got to have a hard sit-down talk, because it should. We want to follow Jesus in the way he wants us to. In the here and now, and that will eventually lead to the infinite now. 
If God is this all-powerful, all-great God in bringing about new life for us, why would we want to hold anything back? If we say we're living for Jesus, but we put limits on what we're willing to do, aren't we saying that we don't want to be inconvenienced by him? Now, it's one thing to have a sage in our life who gives wisdom and spurts out incredible sayings. But when we have a God who says, I have come and I have died for you, how can we respond mildly? Or say, I don't want to be inconvenienced. He creates all. He sustains all. We breathe in. The Ruach of God every moment. So that we have life every moment. Why would we want to be content with just a personal assistant? when we have a great and wonderful God who wants to lead us. He promises abundant life. Another thing that this story tells us is that Jesus walks with us in our suffering. Don't be mad at Jesus for your suffering. Don't carry a smugness around that we are better than that. It is easy to ask God why he allows suffering. Uh, Jesus was mad at suffering. He was mad at death. And he came to do something about it. And it's hard to know if you're experiencing these deep darknesses, why God is allowing you to experience it. But we know that Jesus came down so that he could involve himself in our suffering so that one day all suffering would end. We don't know the reason, but we can say this of what the reason is not. If you find yourself in some sort of deep darkness, it is not because Jesus doesn't love you. We can never go there. He loves us in the midst of the deep darkness that we walk through, just as Mary and Martha walk through it. All love, I believe, will entail suffering. If you want to love someone, it will inconvenience you. We are naturally inclined to hold on to our privacy, to hold on to our comfort, and to hold on to our convenience. If you want to really love someone, you're going to have to sacrifice those three things. You have a friend whose bad things have happened to them, and you want to spend some time caring for them. You're going to be putting yourself out and in a position where you know at the end of that time you are going to be drained. But the other person will feel better because you have walked part of that journey with them. You have to decide in order to minister and to love them that you've got to put your privacy, you've got to put your comfort, and you've got to put your convenience aside. 
because there's no way to truly love people without suffering. We need to accept that because look at what he did for us. This week is about what he did for us. He didn't die just to make life convenient for us. If anything, he died to make life very inconvenient as we love with his kind of love. Lastly, Don't let the fear of death control you. As we reflect on next Sunday, on Resurrection Day, when death killed Jesus, death signed its own death warrant. Because Jesus knew he was coming back and he was going to be the victor. And so we read in 1 Corinthians... When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Death will one day be swallowed up. In God, there is an infinite love that is far greater than any other kind of love. Sometimes people say that when they think about death or dying, they're going to mourn the things that they didn't get to see or didn't get to do. But isn't it true that in God, there are all these things and so much more. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, we will miss none of these things. Don't let the fear of death control us. I had a recent conversation with one of my nephews about death and about burial plots. And he said, you speak of death quite naturally. I said, well, I talk with other people about death, and I've had some of my own experiences as well. I said, when I reflect about an oncoming death, there, there is some mourning that I will have, but the mourning won't be about things or places I haven't seen. It will be about the people, right? The people we know we will miss but also the people that we know who will miss us and the pain that they will have when they miss us. Those are the things we mourn. And yet we know these things will be temporary. But in our humanness, yes, we will mourn. Yet we know death will not be the winner. Death one day will be destroyed. We know that death is not the end of the story because he is the resurrection and the life. Jesus wants to create all things new. And like the sisters of Lazarus, we might challenge Jesus, we might doubt Jesus because God hasn't acted 
or moved in the way or the timing that we have wanted. But his love never fails. His timing is for our growth and his glory. And he wants to create something new. So maybe we need to listen a little more closely this week. Maybe we need to listen a little more closely to him this week. Let's join together in prayer. Father God, how we thank you once again for your great, incredible love. We thank you, Father God, that the love you have for us allowed you, Father and Spirit, to endure the separation from Son, that he might come to earth and suffer and die for us. Thank you for the suffering you were willing to do so that death one day would be vanquished, that we can enjoy an infinite life with you and an abundant life. And we pray that you will strengthen us this week and Holy Week to live more into that abundant life. A life when we experience the power and the presence of God in our lives. And Father God, there are uh, people in our faith community who need your presence and your care in their lives. We join in praying with Sebastian for his children who are traveling. We pray from Brazil to Nicaragua to here in the States that you will provide safety for them. We pray with uh, Jen for her father who has an upcoming surgery on April 11 and we pray Lord that you will use this surgery in your healing hand to bring health and healing to him. We join with Doug in praying for the surgery that he experienced again last week on, uh, on his mouth and pray that you will bring the healing that he needs and longs for. We join with the Garens in praying for uh, Julie's uh, sister-in-law and their family in the death of a father. We join with Hugh and Cindy in praying for Hugh's father and mother as Hugh's father journeys the trail of cancer and where that leads. We pray that your care and presence will be with him. We pray that it will be with Ken as well, that uh, you would be with him and his sister in the passing away of a brother. We pray that you will be with those who are carrying young life for Annalise and Danielle and Kylie and the babies they carry. We pray, Father God, for their protection and for grace and comfort for them as they wait. And we give you praise and thanks for... Uh, Eleanor and for the safety of Alyssa and pray that your blessing and care would continue to be upon them. We pray also for Pam as she remains in the hospital and pray Lord that you will give, give ease to her pain and that you would bring healing and hope that she needs as she goes from day to day. We thank you once again for your new life to, given to us. We pray, Father God, that you will 
continuing to lead and guide us to be agents for you in your kingdom, in your world. We too mourn for broken humanity. We too mourn for the impact of sin and the suffering that is brought in the world. We pray, Father God, that you will help us to be moved in our hearts, to move our hands and our feet, to join with you in being your agents of grace and mercy and peace in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.